Luke 24, chapter 36 to 46, Jesus appears to the disciples. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was, while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Thank you ever so much, Caitlin, for that. Uh, it's lovely to be here, lovely uh, to see you all on an exciting evening for Zander and Dan particularly. And it's exciting for all of us, because as Dave was saying, we're in resurrection season, so there's good news. It's evening on the first Easter day. And the disciples are gathered, are gathered in that upper room, uh, and they're emotionally all over the place. We all know those evenings where we just feel emotionally adrift. They were feeling bemused, confused, also excited and shocked at the events of the day. So much had happened in one day. The women had headed off first thing in the morning uh, to the garden to anoint Jesus' body. They'd been stricken by their grief. They were still reeling at the horrific events that they witnessed on the Friday. And then a little while later, they arrive back with the disciples in the upper room, and they're flushed and they're excited because Jesus' body had disappeared from the tomb. And some angelic man had stood there and told them that he had risen. Peter, uh, because he was the sort of guy that did this, had run off down to, to the garden where the tomb was to see for himself, to see if indeed the women had just lost the plot or whether actually Jesus' body had gone. And when he got to the tomb, the only thing that he found in that tomb was strips of linen. Then Mary pipes up, well, you know, actually, when I was walking around the garden after uh, all this had happened, I met a guy, and I thought it was the gardener, but then it turns out that it was Jesus. He really has risen from the dead. And then only a few minutes before, on the Sunday evening, uh, the disciples in the upper room had had a bit of a shock, because uh, Cleopas, and some theologians think it was his wife with him as well, uh, had, had, they'd waved them off to Emmaus earlier on the Sunday, and then suddenly Cleopas and his wife rock up back in the uh, upper room, and they're all flustered and excited as well. They've arrived back in Jerusalem breathlessly to tell the other disciples that actually they'd met the risen Jesus on the road to Emmaus as well. Either everybody was completely losing the plot, maybe because of what they'd gone through, or something really significant was going on. 
in the 1980s. Give me a wave, anybody who remembers the 1980s. Keep your hand up if you remember Rent-A-Ghost. Ah, oh, yeah, uh, there's a few people with grins on the faces, hands down. You can Google it and YouTube it if you're uh, not of that generation, which most of you aren't. One of my favorite children's programs was this one called rent a I've got to tell you as well uh, that I grew up in a Christian family, and my parents were really strict. I think Christian parents were quite strict in the 80s. And uh, we weren't allowed to watch Scooby-Doo because it was about ghosts, but we were allowed to watch Rent-A-Ghost. Anyway, I don't know what that's about. But if you don't know uh, what Rent-A-Ghost is, the program centered around this group of ghosts who work for a firm that rented out ghosts, obviously. And all the comp characters in Rent-A-Ghost were completely ridiculous caricatures. There was a, a Glaswegian witch called Hazel McWitch. Uh, there was a, a ghost of a pantomime horse called, does anybody remember? Dobbin! Anyway, uh, I just get excited thinking about it. There was the ghost of a court jester called Mr. Claypole. Uh, but my favorite ghost in Rent-A-Ghost was actually the completely bizarre Dutch Miss Popoff. And the thing is about Miss Popoff is that she had permanent hay fever, so she'd sneeze all the time. And what happened was every time she sneezed, yes, you've guessed it, she would pop off and appear somewhere completely uh, ridiculous. So uh, she would sneeze and she would appear in the bath while somebody was brushing their teeth 20 miles away. She would sneeze and she would appear hanging from the top of a lamppost. Or she would sneeze and appear lying on a dining room table as a family were trying to eat their dinner. It was completely hilarious in my childlike uh, way. She would just pop off and appear all over the place. What happened next in the upper room in Jerusalem on that Sunday evening seems to be a bit ghostly, a bit of a Miss Pop-Off type moment. Because as the disciples gather around at listening to Cleopas, uh, hurriedly explaining the events of what happened on the road to Emmaus, Jesus just appears in the middle of that room, in the midst of them. And not surprisingly, Luke tells us that the disciples were startled and frightened. They do not have a clue what's going on. Two days before, you see, they'd seen Jesus nailed to a cross. They had actually seen Jesus go through an agonizing death. They'd seen him take his final breaths and then be taken down from the cross and placed in a tomb, and a stone was rolled away from the tomb. And now he is there, stood in the middle of the room. And they're thinking, what's going on? Dead men do not rise. This must be a ghost. But Jesus immediately knows what they're thinking. He can see the expression on their faces. And so he calms and reassures them, saying this, Why are you troubled? And why, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. You know, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. He shows them his hands and feet. He invites them to actually touch him. And then he goes on to ask for some fish to eat. 
This is not some apparition or ghostly appearance. Jesus is actually physically stood among them in flesh and blood, eating a fish supper. I hope you had mushy peas. Into the confusion of that first Easter Sunday evening, Jesus comes and stands amongst them, and he brings clarity into the confusion. And he does that by engaging them physically. Here, see me, touch me, eat with me. I am real. I have risen. When we haven't seen somebody, uh, maybe a close friend or a family member for ages, uh, we know that when we meet them again, we want to touch them, we want to hug them, we want that sort of physical connection. It's that moment when we, we sort of embrace them that we reconnect. I think that's why Jesus knows that the disciples need to actually physically touch him, to know he's really there, to know that he has risen, that he's not a ghost. And so he brings clarity to the confusion. And he goes on to do that as well by engaging with their minds and their experience. Verse 44. Whilst I was with you, he says, i.e. the three years that you hung out with me before now, I told you that this would happen, that I would be crucified, that I'd be buried and I would raise from the dead. I am the fulfillment of everything that has been written about me in Scripture in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. And there's something significant about the fact that he mentions the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, because he's saying that is the whole Jewish Bible. So I've been spoken about not just in a couple of random verses in Deuteronomy, but all through the Bible, you've heard that this is going to happen, and I am the fulfillment of all of that. And then, he sa- then it says, verse 46, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. This is the good news for all. And now, because of the cross, you have a mission. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning here in Jerusalem. It's an incredible moment, a transforming moment, a missional moment as the confusion is turned to clarity and the disciples meet the risen Jesus and are given this authority to go and spread the message that because of the cross, because Jesus has conquered the cross, repentance and forgiveness of sins is available to all people. That was the start, and we still live in that good news. And yet, when I read this passage, I'm always left with a couple of questions. And we're just going to explore them a little bit further. Firstly, why did the disciples not fully recognize Jesus? Was his, did he look different in some way? And secondly, Why did the resurrected Jesus still have wounds on his hands and his feet after he's risen from the dead? We're going to explore these. So first of all, was Jesus' resurrected body different? It seems from all the gospel accounts of Jesus' appearance uh, after he'd risen that even his closest friends didn't immediately uh, uh, recognize him. 
Is that just because they weren't expecting to meet him after they'd seen him die on a cross? Possibly. Or is it that he looked a bit different? And how can the resurrected Jesus really be flesh and bone if he could walk through walls, as Luke says he did, and also transport himself from Emmaus, where he was only a, a couple of hours before, or an hour before, or minutes before, into the room in Jerusalem? How does that happen? Now, I think it's worth noting here that for centuries, the church has had a real problem with bodily resurrection because of this sort of dualistic ideal that it has created between the body and flesh and anything that's spiritual and holy. Bodies uh, for centuries were seen as being associated with the earth. Uh, They were viewed as being embarrassing or or the cause of shame. They're they're shame-ridden and cause us to sin and are just there really to drag us through this life, Uh, whereas the spiritual is seen as separate from the flesh. The spiritual is prayer and worship and anything that's holy and heavenly. A guy called David Runcorn wrote about this uh, and writes that for centuries, the view of the church has been that the really important part of the Christian life are the spiritual parts such as worship and prayer. And our bodies have just had to come along as well, of course, but like resentful children dragged by the ears and knowing, knowing indistinct, in, instinctively where they're not welcome, they get bored and fidget and cause distraction. He says the body has been viewed as a temporal nuisance. The spirit, the spiritual, and the body for centuries were separated. So the bodily resurrection of Jesus was a bit of a problem. And it's as though for years, Christians sort of conveniently forgot that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God took on flesh in the person of Jesus. He was 100% body. And Jesus grew physically in his mother's womb. He was born, he went through puberty, he played, he cuddled, he ate, he drank, he walked, he slept, he cried, he talked, he did miracles, he loved, he touched, he felt all in his physical body. And then Jesus lived and Jesus suffered and died in the same flesh as all of us. And then he rose again from the dead and is glorified in that flesh as well. And so Jesus is body. And so his resurrection had to be bodily, had to be physical as well, not just some like ethereal, super spiritual resurrection where his soul or spirit was raised. So what sort of resurrected body did Jesus have then if if his closest friends didn't seem to immediately recognize him? Well, it was definitely a flesh and bone body, because we see that in the way that Jesus appears to his disciples here and elsewhere in the Gospels, and he invites them to actually touch them. You remember Thomas, he invites, he says, come and put your hand into my wounds. Don't just look at them, touch them and put your hands into my wounds. But then Jesus was also able to appear and disappear as well, so there's something different as well. Think about the Marvel character, Captain America. 
Now, Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers uh, gives a wave if you've watched Captain America. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. If you don't, just stay with me, you'll get it. Uh, Steve Rogers was short. He was frail. He was a young artist until he became part of a US military. This is, this is make-believe, just in case this is, you thought this was real. Uh, until as part of a US uh, military program at the end of World War II, he, he volunteers for this project called Project uh, Rebirth. And he's the only person to be in with the super soldier serum, SSSS, uh, super soldier serum. And he undergoes this immediate and massive physical transformation. He grows taller, he becomes this like super muscly guy, you can see in the middle picture there, extremely handsome. And he looks so different, uh, he's almost unrecognizable. But ultimately, he is the same person. He still has the same personality we see, he still has the same face, and he's still the same guy and still loves the same people that he loved before. He's the same, but he is also different. Jesus' resurrection body was the same, but it was different. Theologian Tom Wright talks about how after his resurrection, Jesus' body has to be a different material. Why? Because his old body was part of the old creation and was subject to death. The disciples had seen him die on the cross. Whereas his, and also ours, those of us who believe and trust in Jesus, new resurrection bodies are eternal. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul uh, is talking all about uh, resurrection bodies. You can read the whole chapter if you want to find out more about it. And he explains it like this. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, i.e. our original physical bodies are perishable, they can die, but are raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, but raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but is raised in power. So Jesus' resurrection body is a transformation of the old one, the same but different. And again, according to Tom Wright, he says it will belong in both both dimensions of God's world. Jesus' resurrection body will belong in heaven and on earth. Hence, it's flesh and bone, and yet it's better. And you wonder where Marvel get all their brilliant ideas from. And I've seen people, and maybe you have too, who've become Christians and and have had a profound encounter with Jesus, and they look physically different as a result, not in a Marvel way, but they look different. There's something different about them. Maybe their eyes shine in a way that they didn't before. I've seen people whose skin looks different. That might seem an odd thing, but almost like glowing when they've met with Jesus. I've seen people who have been hunched over in pain straighten up. Or or some people's face that's been contorted by anxiety or fear or shame. And they look different once they become a Christian. This physical change has a precedent even today when we step into the resurrection life that Jesus has for us. He can transform us from the inside out, and it can be seen physically in our bodies. And then my second question, 
What is with the wounds on Jesus' hands and feet when he's risen from the dead? Now, if this was a Captain America movie, Jesus' resurrection body would be perfect, wouldn't it? All the frailty, the welts, the cuts, the bruises, the scars of the cross would have been wiped away in that resurrection moment. And yet we find that in all Jesus' resurrection appearances, Jesus is still carrying the wounds of the cross. It doesn't seem very glorious. Think about it. The cross left Jesus wounded for eternity. The cross left Jesus wounded for eternity. He bore the wounds of the cross in his earthly body when he was strung up on that cross and those nails were driven into his hand and his feet and that sword pierced his side. And he still bears those wounds, even in his heavenly resurrected body. Jesus always carries the wounds of the cross. Why would that be? If the resurrection is all about victory over sin and pain and suffering and death, once and for all, why would the victor still bear the wounds of the cross? Well, I think it's for a number of reasons. The first one is something about identity. Now, I have a a big scar on my knee here, and I got that scar uh, when I was about two and a half. I fell off the pavement. I know that seems really bizarre, but I did, and I remember doing it. Uh, I suppose when you're two and a half, you can injure yourself falling off a pavement. And and I remember my mum scooping me up and taking me home and taking uh, uh, me into the upstairs bathroom, because in the 70s, we only had one bathroom in a house. Can you imagine it? And sitting on the edge of the sink, because I was two and a half, and I remember what watching the blood and the water going down the plug hole. And because it was the 70s and everybody just went on strike all the time, so it appeared in the 70s, I remember my mum saying, I think your knee needs stitches in it, but we can't go because the A&E is on strike. And I remember being really relieved because I didn't want to be stitched up um, at age two and a half. Anyway, that's completely irrelevant. But I have this scar on my knee. And I actually quite like my scar on my knee because I've had it nearly my whole life and it's, it's, it's part of who I am. Maybe you have something similar, a scar on your body that is part of who you are. The resurrected Jesus was recognized by his scars. Jesus' wounds on his wrists and his hands and on his side are what the disciples in the upper room Thomas, the doubter, see and touch that tell them it is indeed him. They'd seen the wounds, you see, inflicted upon Jesus only a few days before. And now these are the wounds that identify him as the one who was pinned and died on that cross, but now is resurrected. So Jesus is recognized by his scars But I think there's also something more deeply profound here about the way that Jesus' resurrected body still carries the wounds of the cross. This guy uh, on the screen is just about to come up. He's a guy called Kyle Carpenter. 
And when he was 21, he was part of the Afghan, uh, uh, the, for, the American force in, in Afghanistan. And he was manning a rooftop position one day uh, when the enemy attacked by throwing hand grenades uh, towards the position where Kyle Carpenter and his colleague were based. And as one uh, a grenade landed right inside uh, the area, that their sort of sandbag position that they were in, without hesitation, Kyle Carpenter threw himself towards that grenade in order to shield and protect his fellow soldier from that, that blast that was coming. And when the, the grenade detonated, his body took the full force of the blast, which, yes, as you can see from him, severely wounded him, but saved the life of his fellow Marine. It was an incredible act of bravery and love for his friend. And the scars that Kyle Carpenter now bears are visible signs of love in action, aren't they? Jesus' scars, his wounds, are assigned to even those of us who don't love him, who don't even know him, who frankly couldn't care less about him, of his love in action. We read in 1 John 4, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So Jesus' resurrection wounds remind us that he will always be the one who stands in the gap who sacrificed himself for our sins. He loves us that much. So Jesus' resurrection wounds remind us of the depth and the power of his love. When you see those wounds on his hands and feet, remember why they're there. And I think that Jesus' wounds, lastly, help us with our wounds. When we give our lives to Jesus... Even when we go through the waters of baptism, even when we know that we are cleansed and healed and forgiven, even though we are made new creations in Christ, we often still bear the scars of life ourselves. And those scars that we all carry are different from all of us. You know, I bear scars. I bear the scars of my parents' uh, dramatic breakup uh, when my dad went ran off with my mum's best friend when I was 15, and the effect that that had on the whole of the rest of my life. I bear the scars of my adopted sister being uh, groomed into prostitution and drug addiction and violence, and the things that I saw and experienced and the fear that I felt uh, during that time. I bear the scars of, of struggles with food that I had in my late teens. I have the scars of broken relationships that are out of my control. I have the scars of seeing uh, my mum go through a really horrendous illness a couple of years ago and then die four months later. We all bear scars, don't we? Remnants of pain and suffering that we've all experienced in our lives. No, none of us are free of that. We all have wounds and scars. And sometimes 
those wounds can become our identity. It's almost like uh, they affect so much of who we are. They become our security blanket. But that's not why Jesus died for us. Jesus' wounds on that resurrected body remind us that he died so that we can be healed and made whole. We might have the scars still, but we don't have to be defined by those scars. And so, as Christians, we get to live as Easter people, as resurrection people. And that's exciting, and it brings joy, and it brings hope. But until Jesus returns, we can know that the wounded Jesus, the wounded resurrected Jesus, walks with us, still bearing his wounds, with us through our own pain and suffering and joys and sorrows and celebrations of this life, bearing the wounds of the cross, a powerful reminder to us that he knows what it's like. He shares it with us. And yet he walks with us on a road that leads to our resurrection, our healing, our new life, our forgiveness and hope restored for each one of us if we choose to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior for eternity. This is good news. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for sending Jesus. We thank you for the cross that on the cross, Jesus took himself upon himself the sin of the world, the sin of our lives, our own brokenness. He was nailed to that cross in our place. And his resurrection, his resurrected body still bears those wounds. And so when we see him, we see the signs and symbols of your incredible love for us, your rescue. But also we're reminded that you will promise to walk with us through our own times of woundedness and suffering. That you promise to restore and to heal us, to bring us to new life, new resurrected life in you. We thank you for the good news that we carry as your resurrection people. In Jesus' name, amen.